Xgrowth has helped B2B tech companies design campaigns that open doors in their strategic target accounts, roll out targeted ABM programs, scale ABM programs, and select the right tool and tech stack for a successful ABM initiative. These are all things Xgrowth has helped their clients with. If you're interested to learn how Xgrowth can help your firm's ABM program, check out Xgrowth at xgrowth.com.au. That's xgrowth.com.au and chat with the APAC ABM agency. What's up, marketing legends, and welcome to a brand new episode of the Growth Colony Podcast. I'm Liza from X-Growth to tell you that we bring in B2B leaders to chat about how you can achieve those everyday wins in the marketing world. On today's episode, Shaheen chats with Craig Rosenberg, Chief Platform Officer at Scale Venture Partners. Since his first appearance on the pod in 2020, Craig works with rising superstar software companies. Today, he'll talk about how to better prepare yourself and your organization for landing those enterprise deals. So sit back, relax, and listen in to find out what's working in the enterprise space. Let's dive right into the to the meat and potatoes of this. I, 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 the first question I have is, what is what is your take on enterprise landscape today? What what is what is happening from your viewpoint? Well, I would say overall, right, the the landscape across every sort of segment is changing. I don't think there's any, you know, denying that, right? We're we're coming out of some heady times. So, you know, we're no matter what, we were gonna have to be prepared to adjust. But there there are some things that I think that are actionable, right? Like that have changed that we're starting to get our hands around that that allows us to be actionable. So and I'm not sure what order to go in. So you're going to help me with this because we've talked let's do about it. it. So one is the uh, can kicking. So like the and and I'm gonna have I'm going to give you another bullet point that might go with that. But you know when I talk to sales leaders, revenue leaders, etc., like they're sitting on these big fat pipeline forecasts, right? So not pipeline. I think you and I know where opportunities are just created, but things that are down the line are getting kicked into other, I mean, I met with a revenue ops guy the other day and he's like, I just wish we'd lose the deals because pipeline's <laughs> just growing of things where they're kicking the can, right? And um, so stay with that because there's some other things happening that might tie back, right? Which is, I think the stakeholder map is really important in enterprise because we've always believed that, we've always known that, you know, it's funny, it's like part of, I don't know where this was, but but if you ask someone who sold ERP, let's say 25 years ago, they tell you there's a complex stakeholder map that you have to sell to in the enterprise. I feel like it's always been there. And, uh, you know, it's funny because like in SaaS, we were be able to sell into the point, right? And then everyone's like, hey, and you go up to the enterprise, there's all these stakeholders. Now, the stakeholder map has grown. We know that, right? That data has been there actually for I don't know, you know, five years, right? I don't even, I, I'd have to, you'd have to help me on like Gartner has a good handle on the number of stakeholders. I think but it's no. a 12 or something right now. Yeah. yeah. But you got two things happening now. So one is you've got stakeholder, you know, there's more sign-offs and most of those sign-offs don't care about what you're buying. And that's makes the landscape hard. Okay. And um, so for example, 
you know, uh, I was, there's companies that I've been working with where they can get, you know, the, call it the user, even a director level, right? Bene beneficiary of your solution, selling tech, by the way. And that person says, I'm going to do this. And they bring in their sort of local stakeholder map. And those folks are like, yes, we're going to go do that. And then the deals eventually get killed. Okay. So one is because it has to go to new sign offs. It, your buyer, who's like a wonk with what you do normally, right? So, like if you're, for example, you and I live in the world of marketing, uh, a demand gen person like can talks total inside baseball. By the way, do you guys use the term? I doubt you use the term inside baseball. No, we don't. But baseball is not a, yeah, it's like nobody well, else. No, actually, baseball is getting big here. Baseball is getting okay, big here. Right. But inside baseball is like talk that only you, you and your the people that play baseball know. And it's like, and so this group, like, you know, and like marketing, they, for, as our example, they know marketing automation. They talk the talk, they, they know what this, and then they go, let's say now they have to go get sign off. Let's if, whether it's someone in finance, whether it's a, a group on the other side of the world, et cetera, that now has to sign off. And those people don't understand the value of what you're trying to do. Um, and that includes the seller and the, your internal buyer. And then, of course, finance those, you know, now that, you know, there's deals with like that are like 10K and the CFO signing off. Right. You can't go in there and talk inside baseball. It can't be just like you're the value that just you see. Like you have to as a buyer, you have to go and be able to sell that internally to people that don't understand your business or care what you do or even someone who kind of understands your business. So now we have this thing where the, the stakeholder map has gotten more complex with more people that don't care about what you do. Um, and so that makes it harder for the buyer to buy things. And as a result, sellers, we have to go figure that out. I know you're going to want to revisit that, but before you do, let me throw in this. The other thing is the shadow stakeholders. There are more people now that are touching deals that we don't know about and we didn't expect. And as hard as we work, right, you know this, like a really good enterprise rep, like they drill down and they figure out who's part of the buying process. They do it better than anybody. You know, the guys from my generation or the people from my generation, part of me, who, you know, worked selling enterprise software, they didn't just like ask the question. They would drill in, they would question, they would prod, they'd figure out the map. And now you could do that and you'd still miss like someone along the train that basically can nullify the deal. So I think those things go hand. I think everything I just said goes hand in hand, you know? And so those are, those are important to embrace, I think. Um, and then there's some marketing ones. Would you like to talk about those? I know you love marketing. Well, let, let, let's, 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 <laughs> let's, uh, there's, there's a lot there to unpack. Um, okay. We talked about the pipeline, mm -hmm. and hey, man, we just want to lose some stuff and uh, and 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 get that pipeline smaller. We're talking about the stakeholder map and, and, and shadow stakeholders, because I, I I think even from a marketing perspective, those are important because marketing needs to think about you know how do I how do I make sure there's brand awareness? How do I make sure that there is recognition? How do I make sure that all all parties are are um, touch and address let's unpack that that pipeline component that you talked about right at the beginning so so talk to the cro 
or, or, or you said um, someone in, in RevOps, and they're like, man, I really hope we, we lose some of this pipeline. Let's talk about that in, in terms of like what is happening there and what is the impact of that to, uh, to, to uh, organizations trying to land enterprise? Well, I mean, look, you, you know, essentially what that, what he was saying is I have so much pipeline that we can't predict whether it will close or not. Right. And that's the issue is, you know, this person's like one of the best RevOps guys I know. And he uh, is amazing at forecasting. And he's like, you know, the can gets kicked, it gets kicked again. You know, uh, we have interested parties here, but getting it over the finish line, oftentimes, even with your best rep, you know, is, you know, difficult. Right. And so it's not that they don't want net new pipeline, right? They're always going to be on, on, you know, trying to drive net new pipeline. The issue is, is that they're holding a lot of deals. Now, in three years ago, if a sales rep was holding too many deals, we'd just go through and be like, go, go, gone, gone. Right? We understood enough about the buying process that we could say, hey, you know, like, why are you wasting your time on this? Okay. But now the buying process has changed. Okay. And we have to literally figure out once again, like what really is a buyer and what isn't. Now, I will still say that like a lot of the fundamental enterprise sales tactics have to come into play, right? The, um, the level of discovery and we're going to learn, you know, we're going to continue to learn more about what makes a real deal and what doesn't because we used to know what it is and now we have to re figure it out. Um, but, um, you know, how we, how we qualify a deal, how we do, do discovery against a deal. And then more importantly, how we build a use case and business case that allows us to speak to multiple people in the stakeholder map. So it goes back to what we were just talking about, right? You, you might mm-hmm. have a deal in the pipeline and it's just someone who literally, doesn't have anything to do with it might be the whole, I mean, there's just a lot of reasons for holdup right now. And it's like, it's the, the buying environment. So a couple of things that I think, so one, you brought up marketing. Look, we have to acknowledge a wide stakeholder map and one that we, you know, we just have to make good guesses, right? So uh, marketing should be like, as you know, to, in today's world on the marketing side, uh, mind share is critical, right? You you have to be in, in some acknowledgement with these folks um, as they um, just go about their day to day lives. You know, it's why we love targeted advertising. We love LinkedIn advertising, uh, and just you know, being able to sort of you know be there whether they know right we're in their head or not, and that has to expand though. It, you know, obviously we have to spend the majority of the time with what we would call like the entry point. These are the folks that are most likely to start a sales process with us. We want to spend a lot of time there, but on the other hand, we have to be thinking from a product marketing perspective on these other potential stakeholders and shadow stakeholders, etc. And we have to think about how we can continually influence them. That's from a air cover perspective. The other thing we have to do is we have a big product marketing challenge, right? Which is one, you know, how do we build the messages or like an agility in our message that allows us to be able to build um, value prop and use case for folks that are are sort of either not involved in the day-to-day of what we're selling and become part of the stakeholder map 
And more importantly, can we build a business case that makes sense for the CFO? That is, you know, I'm just to be simple on things you can do. It's like, look, can you, you can't, you likely can't necessarily share the same deck with the same stakeholders, right? We have to be thinking about them differently. So that's like a product marketing, like how sales engages with them perspective. And then likely that can be translated into air cover, right? Which is like, when we get into their, you know, into their orbit, you know, is there something that would make them believe that what we're selling is important to them? So that those are big implications, right? To you know that are of this current buying cycle, and uh, you know the the folks that are. I, I'm seeing a lot of this where we're understanding we need a use case. Of course, they immediately go to like some convoluted ROI model. You can't do that. They have to. We have to build something purpose built for the finance group. We have to. And it's not just, it is an ROI model. It's a business case. It's got to make sense. It's got to be bulletproof. Uh, and there's another thing I'm going to bring back to you, which is so a guy I work with, Robert Kaler, has come up with this really simple selling methodology he calls the big three, which is can you identify the big three? challenges that are preventing the organization to from achieving their goals now everyone knows this okay but the issue is is there's so many different things flying around that people are sort of wandering away from that core idea that we just need these things that will resonate throughout the process right so you know that challenge has to be strategic and holding the organization back from doing something that they want to go do because that's the second part is the finance people, yeah, they, everyone thinks, well, they just want an ROI model. No, they want to know that that ROI model is tied back to the big strategic objectives that the organization is trying to achieve and will pave the way to go do that. You, don't, you can't do that unless you understand the, the big three along the way. And you take the big three, okay? Then let's say another disparate group becomes involved in our sales process. We still, that's like, we're going to port the big three to them. They're going to have different implications to their business, right? Like it may not be the same um, and we have to be able to adjust and we have to be able to understand those personas quickly and be able to deliver something that makes sense to them. Okay. And I know I'm doing a million things <laughs> and you have to build champion content and champion content is uh, I think the word God, I'm trying to, I want to attribute the, the, um, the phrase, I think it was Steve Hayes from years back did this. I'd have to think about it. But anyway, look, that's content that you give your champion because they're about to go sell what they want in the organization. Um, they need help because that's why our deals are getting stalled because they can't sell it. Right. And they're not always going to let you in. You know, despite what we say, hey, well, why don't we go in and talk to them? You know, we have to be able to enable them to be able to go talk to the different groups if they could even front run into finance, whatever that might be. So everything that we build for our sales team is actually should be something that could be personalized and used by our champions. OK, so anyway, big changes to the sales process there and uh, people are adjusting. Having yeah. a value proposition for finance. I mean, it's very interesting to say this. I was, I was speaking to someone, Singapore office, uh, you know, HQ US, and we're talking about fifteen thousand dollars. And she's like, 
No, I, yeah. And, and, and we, we, we were talking about like, you know, that we were looking at the SOW and she's like, my CFO will not approve this. I need to do something else. Something else is not important. But the fact that she said CFO, I was like, it's $15,000. That's, that's all it is. It's, it's not 150, but she's like, yeah, the CFO will review this. And this is a thousand person organization. Yeah. Change, man. And uh, and maybe a little bit larger, and I, I was just blown away. I had never heard of that before, of uh, at, at that price range. So um, so it's very interesting of of building a value proposition for the finance, and then building champion content because it's really hard, and it's it's very hard for marketers. It's hard for the salespeople. It's even harder for marketers because they're not on the front line, and and the salesperson is like, man, I can pitch. But for me to enable you to pitch, and then I have to explain that to marketing, so marketing can enable me, so that I enable you. Jeez, that is um, that is a tough, tough task to uh, to accomplish. Do, do you have any advice on that front? Are you leading me down the sales and marketing alignment path? Hey, I'm I'm just you know I'm just saying I'm just saying no, we, we don't have to call it that. No, but it is. It's like. It's been what we've been talking about it for twenty years. Um, I do, you know. I've I think I may have said it on your so show. I used to believe a certain amount of friction was actually useful, and maybe I still do. But actually, what I'm seeing is the folks that are gonna are fighting through the current changes in the buying environment are aligned because you have a bunch of things you have to change if you think about it. Like product has to know understand kind of what's happening because I have another comment that I left out, I just stopped, we'll park it, I'll bring it back in a sec, because it's a critical one. Uh, and, and as you said, look, sales, we have to learn fast from what's happening on the front line with sales. It, you know, a perfect example is just marketing and product and everyone listening to call recordings. Because, you know, you got to be, you always, I always tell people, you got to be careful. If you ask someone, hey, would you buy this? And they say yes, you still don't know. You have to ask them, great, send me the order. Once you put people on that, right? And you're you're actually moving from like market research or whatever. I, by the way, I love market research. Don't get me wrong. You just have to take that next step to really find out what's happening. And that's when you ask someone for an order and you learn from that. We know this, right? Great marketers are listening to call the the, the call and the, the call recordings. Great product folks are listening to the call and we're learning. We got to do that now because the front line is where it's at. That's where we're learning everything. Um, we, you know, look, there's a lot of data out there. You can take like Gartner, actually, my old company, they have great data on just what's happening in the buying community. We have to take it all in and we got to be able to adjust, but we have to do it together. Because as you said, it's actually, it, you know, I tell salespeople all the time, we got to get marketing involved because is it real? I mean, let me ask you what's better. You get a cold intro internally to some stakeholder that you haven't met before and they have no idea who you are or you go in and they have some idea who you are and they have at least a glimmer of the value prop. Because one of the things definitely that's happening today is like from a marketing perspective, you do, you know, this idea of branding and uh, community and you know, getting customers out there is we we need people to have a, a general understanding of what you do because things are so crazy out there, and uh, and that requires that we you know that we work together. 
Last thing though, I, this is like my winner, but I stopped because I know I you have to pull me back all the time. Um, let's do it. Folks, let's do it. This is what, yeah, his, his, his superpower on the podcast is dealing with a guy like me <laughs> just talking the whole time. Uh, the other one is, um, you know, basically, I'm not going to say they're scared, but like uh, your buying environment, you know, to sell to them today, it's way better to de-risk as much as you can. Because that's also one of the issues. We used to get people over the top on that. They like, oh, you know, just trust me, we'll go do this, right? And the guy had 40 grand and could put it on his credit card. But now someone 15K to the CFO, it's, we talked about like the mechanics of what you got to do, champion content, business model. It has to look less risky. Because the buying environment today, people aren't taking risks. So you have to de-risk it. Now there's many ways to de-risk it. Like one of them is instead of trying to get a million dollar deal today, take the 15K, right, and build. So the land and expand, which I'm sure you're doing a lot of for your customers. Today, that land and expand was like um, just a, you know, really sort of product-led sort of, right, um, type of growth thing that we thought, oh my God, this is really great. But it's actually critical for these times. It's one way to de-risk the deal, right? And um, we have to think of lots of ways to de-risk the deal. I think, you know, doing a smaller deal is like a common one and that's a good one, right? You can deliver value and grow from there because now you've de-risked it. They can prove the value. Um, the other one, you know, look is like people are doing um, deeper dives into the products so people feel really comfortable, right? I just, I was looking at a, a company the other day, Testbox. I don't know if you've seen them, but like they put, you know, companies into um, an environment so they can go and put in data and go test it and figure that stuff out. Like that's a real thing right now, right? You have to have really solid POCs. Everyone thinks of it just as a free trial business. And that's not true. We need everything we can, depending on your buyer. We have to understand enough about them to figure out what are the things that will de-risk them. One of them is like, will this product work for me? Just prove it, man, just do it, you know? And so you could do that via uh, a paid POC. You could do that in some cases with just some form of very directed trial. And uh, yeah. I mean, well, well, let's, Craig, Craig let's unpack that. I, 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 I want to, this was one of the things I wanted to unpack with you a couple of years ago. PLG was all the rave and people were talking about, Hey man, these enterprise, like these old school sales led motions are going away and uh, PLG is taking the world. What, what is your take on that? You know, what is your take on the development of PLG and the role that PLG plays today? And has it, did it, do you think it's replaced it? Is it going to re completely replace um, the other motions that were there? What, what, uh, Love to love to hear your thoughts on this. Yeah, I don't. Yeah, I knew right when I said PLG, I went, "Oh no, he's going to come back on me on this one." No, I love I love PLG, but I don't. You know, it, there's like it's going to be part of your go-to-market. I think when we look at the, you know, let's say our portfolio and others that we talk to, I mean, your most organizations are going to have two or more go-to-market motions, right? For example, and I'm not saying this is always true. But like a lot of enterprise, the, you know, getting into them is less likely to be a PLG motion, you know, or could a percentage of it. But like you're going to have to go and, and do sort of a sales led enterprise motion or marketing led enterprise motion, whatever that might be, um, in order to attract that segment. 
So I feel like it depends on the segment, right? So like developers, for example, their their preferences for some form of PLT, right? So there's going to be some organizations where it might lead them up into a certain point, but in every it you know there's it depends on the segment, right? What is going to happen in the segment, and um, how would they react? Okay, one other thing on PLG, P, you know, it works really well with a very specific user that you can focus on the target user. So, like for example, when we were working here, it's you know at uh, scale, we were developing you know stakeholder mapping and buyer persona work that we wanted to do with the portfolio. You know, um, my uh, EIR CMOs, Matt Amundsen, Sydney Sloan, they were just like, where's target user, right? So it's like, we used to have decision makers, you know, all these sort of classics and like, no, you know, in a per particularly in a software sense or a PLG sense, there's gotta be this target user that we can, we know, like we build it for them because we always start with them. You know, and they are the ones who take it in. You have these like big, you know, the, a lot of the PLG stories, um, you know, come from this idea that, um, you know, you have this user that you continue to market to and they share with their friends and they can ease. They're ones with a predisposition to download and try things. I think there's except everyone's going to there's exceptions like Box is an exception, right? You're going to have. Uh, DocuSign's an exception. You're going to have PLG all over the place, right? Because, like, you know, I'm not a technical user and I'm most likely going to go to the site and be like, oh my God, I can use it or, you know, uh, and just get started with it. But in most cases, you're going to want to identify that target user. And so, no matter what, you know, so like a lot of complex, some of these complex software products that don't have a target user that is has a predisposition for free downloads or for down, you know, whatever that might be, they're not likely to be PLG. Or maybe there's another part of your market that is. Um, it really depends. And um, but the main thing is it doesn't necessarily eat the entire go-to-market. In most cases, you're gonna have two or more. So you might have you might you might need to think about multiple GTM models for your organization. What do you what do you reckon today marketers need to stop doing if they're going after enterprise? So interestingly, we're doing a little demand gen event for scale and we're doing having people take all the channels and they're doing start, stop, continue. And uh, we just want to see kind of what they're doing. Now that's a channel perspective. You're sort of talking about it also from a strategic perspective, but I'll I'll start like the interesting things I'm seeing from a, I'm hearing, so I, I still need to do more to really understand kind of what's happening, which is, so I, you know, you have events to present to people. I also have events so I can go learn from them. But, you know, an example is, you know, we're hearing um, less effectiveness around PPC, around landing page centric content. And, you know, by the way, as you, you and I both know, getting enterprise people that matter to download or fill out forms was always hard, right? It's the, you know, and, uh, but now, you know, we're seeing that definitely less, you know, less effectiveness there and seeing more effectiveness, right? With things like, you know, taking the content that used to hide behind a gate and putting it on LinkedIn and giving it, cause you have to have this air cover and you have to get these folks where they are. I think that's really important. Like if, you know, this landing page centric point of view, which, by the way, was kind of 
you know, you, it was kind of, it wasn't waning. It was also one thing we would do, but not everything we would do. I think now it's like really important. So, you know, I think, uh, I'm not going to say stop because every, uh, we just talked about this. Every business is unique. It depends. Right? Yeah. But, yeah. But, you know, we're just hearing different that's, things. That's like, the consultants I, in you, Craig. Yeah. Yeah. Depends. But, you know, webinars, I mean, everyone's going to still do them, but you're not, you know, less and less are you going to get a thousand people, you know, like the playbook changed, you know, and, um, and so, and, and everyone asked for this, like, it does depend, right? I, you got to understand, let's, you know, now actually do look at the data and figure out what's working, what's not. And, uh, you know, let's make sure that we're doing the right things. I think that's, uh, I don't want to say anything definitive there because PPC might work really well for one company, but, you know, just some of the data, people aren't seeing as great of results as as they used to. So that's, you know, definitely that that's coming true on the marketing side. One of the things that you talk quite a lot about, and, and you, you've, you've brought this up multiple times is, is moving to the left. And the fact that that is, that was important before and that that's happening even more. Can, can you, can you dive a little bit deeper into that and explain that a little bit more? Well, I think when people think about product led, they think about only free trials. And I think we should think about like the fact that what we're seeing here and what we're addressing is a product centric buying environment. I mentioned it earlier, like the, you know, they need to see it and feel it and feel really good to be de-risked, right? And so one of the big things I remember uh, actually moving to the left reprise, right, which is a company that does demo automation software. They were the ones that brought that to my attention, right, which is this idea that the buyer wants to get to the product faster than they ever have before. And the move to the left is this idea that solutions consultants and sales engineers who used to be able to wait until sales had done numerous about, you know, uh, sessions of discovery and, you know, put together a complex use case and told everyone, well, we want to see the product. Whoa, whoa, before we do, we got to go do all this. Stuff. Now they want to see it and it's coming in earlier. So like moving to the left is really from them. They're describing this idea that this, the, the product demo, right? The ability to see the product and in many cases on an enterprise level, the people that have to deliver it right? That's the move to the left. If you took a continuum of a sales process and it moved left to right, right? We're moving solutions, consultants, and systems engineers up, you know, farther to the left in the, in the sales and buying process. That is a, thank you. That's another change that's happening that we have to address. And that's why I brought it, you know, it's, it's, it does tie back to product led. Like I said, I think, um, you know what, now that we're talking about it, I'm going to make this a big thing that I'm going to write about, which is like just thinking about product led is actually just like part of this idea where we have a much more product centric buying community, particularly in tech and the, the ability to feel, and it, it comes with, there's all these emotions that tie back to it, right? This, this need to, for things to be de-risked and actually just being used to being able to see the product being burned right before. And like, you know, those things are all sort of, you know, coming together here, but also, you know, like, I mean, they, uh, we have some buyers that, you know, more and more of the buyers, you know, are in, you know, want to know more about the product and want to be able to see it. And, um, 
it also stems, you know, I, I'm not sure I agree with this, but I did on a marketer go, well, it's also because sales can't deliver the value prop. I don't know if that, you know, I think even sales delivering a great value prop that we'd still be moving to the left. So the buying left, community yeah. is much more product centric than they've ever been. And I think that's really important to embrace that changes your sales led motions, like moving to the left. It, it has an effect on a lot of things. And I think, thank you for bringing that up. It's really important. We talked about what some of the organizations should consider doing less of. What are some of the things that are on your radar that you're like, you know, we should definitely test this a little bit more and maybe even double down on it. Some of the maybe t channels, maybe strategies um, when it comes to enterprise, what, what comes and we've, we've talked about a few things, but um, is there, is there anything specific that you think is worth talking about? I mean, I, it depends. No, um, the, uh, uh, you know, we had Megan Eisenberg at our go to market summit and, you know, she's been, like a legendary demand gen CMO, you know, she just went up there and said, you know, PPC is working less content syndications working less. And what's working is like dinners, right? Executive dinners and, in, in, in going with hand to hand sort of experiences with their buyers. Uh, you don't go to an event just to a trade show. You have to pre seed the event with meetings. Right? So she's like, if we go and we just do a booth and hope it works out, it doesn't work. If you go to a, a event and you're actually the SDRs are coming in, everyone's coming in and we're ensuring that we're going to have meetings and setting things up and having those executive dinners, those things are uh, working better. I think, you know, a lot of CMOs would take what I just said and go, yeah, I do that. But, you know, we that's not exactly true. But right? do you? Do you? Yeah, that's not exactly <laughs> true. So I think those are that's part of the changing environment. And I told you, like, um, you know, Scott Albro, my old business partner, it's like, you know, he's put all his chips into LinkedIn and it's working amazing, right? He's delivering this like provocative content, thought provoking content on LinkedIn. He's building this massive following. As a result, I think he's, you know, I don't even know. I mean, I'm just following him now and he's doing like a piece of content a week that's, uh, you know, adding new people that are following him. And um, I think we're seeing that more and more like LinkedIn, both free and paid is like a critical channel for you on the B2B side. I think there's other parts to it, too. We're seeing more multi-channel. So, you know, video, right? Um, those types of new mediums that we can use to reach people, not boring video, but um, interesting, you know, topics and things that people want to learn about. But I would say the big one is like just this quadruple down on LinkedIn as a, as a platform for reaching your buyers, I think is really interesting. I love it. Yeah. The concept of zero click, you know, have your, have your assets and content live on LinkedIn rather than just using that as a channel to drive people to, um, to your, to your own assets that your own digital assets. That's, I, I think it's a, it's a very strong movement. And, um, yeah. Okay. By the way, I wait, hold on before you go, I got one for you. So nobody will do this. I mean, including, uh, uh, me, I won't do this, but, but like, as part of like the content sharing, I'm like, we should share our webinar deck. Like, could we drive better webinar engagement if we just sent the deck? Like before the webinar, you do that in a sales call, you'll do that in a presentation. Why wouldn't we do that if we believe 
that the, you know, like we're going to hide the ball. I mean, I think part of this is like this new mentality from a marketing perspective and a sales perspective that we got to stop hiding the ball. We got to be transparent about everything. We got to let them into the product. We got to um, give them all that content that we were trying to hide from them. I don't know, just a really tactical comment, but I'm thinking like, what about on webinars? Just give it away before and let's see if they show up and are more engaged as a result or, you know, it does put a lot of the, the, you know, the importance of the speaker and being charismatic and engaging and having, you know, insights that they can't get anywhere else becomes more important, but still anyway. All right. Sorry. Just crazy. Yeah. I think the marketers would be, uh, would be playing with their, with their jobs. I think that's the risky part. Right? <laughs> like, yeah, I've, I've done all this work. And if I share this, Craig, and if they don't show up, I'm going to yeah. come back here and I'm going to reach out to you. We're going to share your contact details at the end of this podcast. So if anyone wants to have a conversation with Craig after they try these tactics, um, <laughs> feel, free to, uh, feel free to reach out. Do you want to be a part of something great and receive greatness in return? Well, with the help of Media Collateral, Xgrowth is creating the state of account-based marketing in APAC Report for 2023. Be a part of this industry study and get the opportunity to win a free consultation with Xgrowth's ABM experts on how you can optimize your ABM strategy. And all it takes is filling out the survey located in the pod description. Want to hear about more greatness? Well, by filling out the survey, you'll get immediate access to download our ABM Essentials Pack and get an exclusive pre-release copy of the report. So what are you waiting for? Click the survey link to get started. Okay, okay. We're, we are, I want to I do some rapid fire questions as well, Craig, okay. um, and, uh, and, and dive into a couple of, uh, couple of topics there. So... <clears throat> First thing is, what is what is one resource? This could be um, a book, a podcast, a talk, whatever it is that has had a fundamental impact on the way that you work or you live. What comes to mind? Well, there is a, a really good uh, sales and marketing go-to-market book out there. It's called The Jolt Effect. It, it was made by Matt Dixon, who was one of the co-authors of The Challenger Sale. And it kind of looks at... What we talked about, you know, the, the, you know, the trepidation in the buying community and how you overcome it, the shadow stakeholders, like this latency that we're getting at the end of the, in the middle and the end of the sales cycle. And he looks at that and provides insights on what you might be able to get to. It's a, it's a really good book. Um, I read it when the minute it came out and then we were like, you got to get on this webinar. And I read it again. I mean, it's just, it's got some great things. I think that's the one I would say. That's a good resource. There's lots of okay. talk. What podcasts. what are you reading? What are you reading now, Craig? This is more of I don't, I don't usually ask this, but uh, I just want to know what's on your radar now. Oh my god, do I have the book? Because I'm getting so old, I forgot. I'm so my my stepfather in law just passed away. I got to look this up, but he was an avid reader. He would read like eight books a day, and so when um, yeah, I know he was incredible, and um, he. Uh, when he was in hospice, you know, I went and saw him and he was still, you know, like lucid and tired. He's like, I, I used to always ask him, like, give me a book. And he used to give me these books that were just so hard to read. It would take me like a year to read them. You know? <laughs> and this time he points to these like paperbacks, you know, they look like things you would get, you know, on the way from an, you know, on an airplane or whatever. And I'm telling you this story and I don't, I'm so old. I don't remember the author. I, I may have to look it up, but 
anyway, he said, go read that. And I'm like, what? Like he, he must, he, you know, he must not be himself. And then started reading and just tiling it. So I've been with net net. I've been doing them fiction just for fun because you know, the days are long. And so what's that thing that can tune me out for the, you know, rest of the day. And, um, it's uh it's that so i apologize to everyone i can't think of oh i got it cj box the author is cj box and there's their stories set in i think wyoming you know i'm not gonna say that we have the next william shakespeare but like i've just been reading all and then you know he just passed so i have all the books and so i've been reading them and i've been doing it i told him i would you know read it the first one and i did and uh you know just it's a good way to um you know, we'll definitely yourself. check it out. CJ Box. Um, <laughs> yeah. Fantastic. Fantastic. Okay. All right. Question two. If you could give oh, one advice. You want a oh. random business one? I just yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I just recommended this to someone I was talking to. I've been recommending this one for a year, which is the psychopath test. It sounds crazy. You think I'm joking in a more really weird way. People are like, oh my God, I'm going to gasp. It's actually this guy who sort of takes, there's a, there's a test to figure out if someone's a psychopath. And, uh, you know, this guy's, it's a great story where the author sort of takes that and tests it around all these different sort of potential use cases for a psychopath. But like it, someone say, well, why would you recommend that to the business community? Because like it is really interesting to understand that if a fair amount, not a big amount, but just a, you know, like a small percentage of, but of really successful politicians, business people, et cetera, actually fail the psychopath test they are psychopaths and uh it's really interesting book it takes like one plane ride to read so anyway there you go in case you don't want to read about wyoming you know folks in wyoming <laughs> no, i appreciate it I'll, I'll definitely check both of them out actually all three of them so all right next question next question if you could give one advice to be b2b marketers what would it be i would just say i can't get too specific as you know but like i would say the old playbook of, you know, what we did, you know, you and I did with them 10 years ago, right, is ch has changed. And so it's time to literally put everything back on the table and rethink how you approach things. And um, I think that just admitting that is really important, right? Because we can't just do the thing where we're just driving people to landing pages and taking MQL numbers to the board. Um, a, the, we used to get away with it, even though people told us not to, because it was it would still work. Now it doesn't work as well. And so we have to rethink. And I think part of that is testing new things across new mediums. I think just really sort of using the data and the and the and an analysis you might set up for a customer and actually looking at it and <laughs> looking at what's working and what's not working for real. I think that's the, the new playbook and I'm looking forward to hearing all the new innovations against the new playbook. You know, it's going to be cool. All right. Question three, who are some of the influencers, thought leaders you follow? Man, I'm, I'm, I'm not good on time. Okay. Well, I mentioned Scott Albert used to be my business partner, amazing LinkedIn um, feed. Definitely listen to him. The guy that I love from a sales perspective is a guy named Dave, actually, and a marketing perspective is a guy named Dave Brock. He's been around for a long time. He's just got a really great perspective. He's at times controversial. I like him because not everyone reads him. That's the, and so I love that on the sales side. On the marketing side, I'd say there's two things, two new 
I'd say new, right? So everyone that are my friends that are influenced, I apologize. I just want to provide for you. So I like Dave Gerhard's got the, you know, paid sort of podcast newsletter. I think that's really great. And then I've been listening to Lenny's podcast. Have you done the have you done this? He's a growth marketing guy and I, I know of Lenny's podcast and I haven't I haven't got into it yet. So is you recommend it? Yeah, I mean the way he structures it, you get some really actionable stuff out of it. And so, you know, so I'm not sure he's the influencer as much as he is the facilitator of influence. Yeah. Um, but it's just, I mean, if uh, it's just really good stuff. And um, I just got turned on to it. So I, I just kind of listening to it now. And I think, you know, it's just had some really great actual things. So great pointers, great pointers. Okay. Last question. What's something that excites you about B2B today? Um, well, first of all, I think, you know, all the things that I described before, you know, enterprise marketing and sales has actually always been hard and that's important. Like selling software and marketing software is hard. We didn't, we forgot that for like three years, maybe four, right? Where it was, it's not, you know, look, it's always hard, but it's kind of back to normal, right? Where like the, the best will succeed and world-class will succeed in this scenario. And so what am I excited about? I think... We finally have new storylines in go-to-market that are emerging and being proven. They're not just ivory tower things that you you know you throw against the wall. And the, as I mentioned, on, I think it was an early one. The playbook's changing. I'm really excited to see what that looks like. That's marketing, SDR, sales, all of this. AI will be part of that change. So maybe not today. I think we're learning it. It's starting to leak in here. But like AI is going to be part of that change. And it's, it's, it's actually, I, I didn't mean to say not that like today it is already changing how we work. And that's like exciting. We're going to do things differently because I felt like we always talked about doing things differently, but we didn't, it was kind of slow. Now it's not slow. We have to, we have this con convergence of a changing buyer environment, which is going to you know, force us to change the playbook. And we have new technology that's exciting that will allow us to be more efficient and more effective, you know, like generative AI. Um, and uh, I think we should be excited about what that's going to look like. And so that's me. That's what makes me excited. Boom. You heard it here, people. Craig, this is an awesome conversation, man. Really appreciate it. Um, and, uh, and doing round two. I'm looking forward to round three. Oh, man. Let's go. Let's do it. Already. Already. But no, thank you so much for all the insight. Thanks a lot for for all the all the tips and uh and 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 the uh, uh the golden nuggets that you've dropped. So uh and, and thank you for your time. Thanks for having me. Let's do it again, round three. Today's episode of Growth Colony was produced by Alexander Hipwell and Liza Maywald. It was edited by Dave Semido with additional editing by Liza Maywald and music arrangement by Alexander and Liza. Special thanks to Tina Wabe. We couldn't make the show without you. Growth Colony is hosted by Shaheen Hoda, Director of Growth at Xgrowth. If you enjoy the podcast, please subscribe and give us a rating on Spotify or Apple Podcasts. Do you think you'd be a great guest or just keen for a chat? Send through an email at podcast at xgrowth.com.au. That's podcast at xgrowth.com.au. That's all for now. We'll catch you next week right here on Growth Colony.